Oh, hello, Mafra friends, uh, back again, uh, per medium of the video. Thanks again to Wes Jackson for accommodating me and, and getting the video together. We're continuing our series that we've begun on looking at what Jesus teaches about his return in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke all have uh, similar accounts of Jesus' return, but Matthew's the most detailed. And really it, it sets the template for what we should understand about the fact that Jesus is going to come back again one day. So we're calling this series Ready and Waiting for Jesus' Return in Matthew 24 to 25. And if you wanted to summarise it further, you could say that Jesus' instruction is be alert, be on your toes, but don't be alarmed. Um, so last week we looked at the, the long section that begins this chapter of Matthew 24. And things began on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's his last week uh, before he dies on the cross for our sins. But he's in the, on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he's just remarked how there's going to come a day when the temple will be left without one stone standing on another. So an incredibly impressive structure, the, the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus says it will be unrecognisable. It will be destroyed. And so they're looking at that temple and the disciples are clearly amazed by its magnificent, but they have two questions for him. They say, when will these things be? So when will the things you're talking about happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the rest of this discourse, this uh, teaching of Jesus is, is concerned with those two things. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, I pointed out last week, and I've read several commentaries on this by really expert scholars, and there's not universal agreement on how what Jesus says relates to the questions that the disciples have. But I think that there are some things which I pointed out last week. I think they're crystal clear. And so what Jesus says in response to the disciples comes down to some commands and some warnings. And so he identifies threats from without things that will cause people, normally speaking, to be fearful. So wars and rumours of wars and natural disasters. Now, we've got wars going in the world at the moment, more than we hear of, actually. Uh, so the Ukraine war keeps us all you know, thinking, and, uh, and rightly so. But there's lots of other smaller wars that have less bearing on our lives. But for the people enduring those, many of whom are Christian, uh, the words of Jesus have real uh, aptness. Uh, so there's threats from without, wars and rumours of wars and natural disasters and of course famine and so on and plagues are natural consequences of wars as well. So there's those things that scare us because they're coming from outside, they're beyond our control. But there's threat, threats from within as well, fear. Uh, that, that's something that manifests from within, it's our reaction to the exterior threats. And the fear of persecution is a very real one and perhaps in Australia we're starting to wonder how much longer we will have before that, that fear uh, is made actual. So there's threats from without, threats from within. But then as well as that, Jesus makes some commands. He says, see that no one leads you astray. He says in verse six, see that you're not alarmed. Don't be frightened. He says in verse 13, endure, endure to the end. Persevere, press on and you'll be saved. So last week I talked about how this chapter and some others have been used as happy hunting grounds for people wanting to try to pretend to be able to do what Jesus said couldn't be done, that is set the date of his return. But in chapter 24 verse 36 he makes it quite clear concerning that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. 
So uh, that, that verse is quite clear. No one knows. So the, the, the disciples ask, uh, when will these things be? Jesus' answer to that is, I don't know. Uh, at that point, he didn't know. Uh, what will be the sign of your coming? Well, we'll find out in a moment. But some years ago, back when I was a school teacher, we had a visit to the Christian fellowship group that I used to lead amongst the kids there. And uh, this visitor came and said, I'm going to tell you a story that you'll never, ever forget. And he was right, because I haven't. Um, and so he told this story, which he said originated from Toowoomba in Queensland, uh, that two women were leaving the office of the organisation that he worked for to return to their home in Toowoomba. And uh, they saw on the side of the road a very well-dressed man in a suit carrying a briefcase. Now, it was pointed out that these women were not the kind that would normally pick up a hitchhiker, but they, he seemed to have some sort of magnetism and he was so well-dressed and he looked as though he needed a ride, so they stopped and picked him up. And he got into the car and he said, ladies, Jesus is coming soon, be ready. So these were Christian women and they thought, oh, wonderful, we'll have a, a period of Christian fellowship with a fellow believer. So he said it again, ladies, Jesus is coming soon, be ready. And... Uh, they turned to talk some more and he was not there. He had gone. He'd vanished. So they turned the car around and went back to the spot on the highway where they picked him up in the first place and they started to look around. And a police car pulled up and the policeman said to the women, ladies, what are you doing? And they said, if we told you, you wouldn't believe us. And he said, try me. And so they said, we picked up a man. He said, you know, you're the seventh car that's told me that story today. And so we were told in quite breathless terms by this traveling evangelist that there was a, a, a well-dressed angel, I suppose, going around saying that Jesus was coming soon. And that was the whole point of his talk to the kids. Well, it wasn't just in Warrigal that that story was getting around. It went like wildfire. I spoke to a few other people who hadn't been at the school that day and they'd heard it too. Uh, but my parents subscribed at that time to New Life Christian newspaper. And there was a whole page of letters. In fact, several weeks running, there'd been letters about this vanishing hitchhiker. And uh, he'd been sighted all over the place, not just in Toowoomba, but around Frankston, around Warrigal, Rokeby, all sorts of places. And uh, anyway, there was this volume of correspondence. So I thought I'd add to it. And I quoted Matthew 24, verse 36. I said, if there's an angel going around telling us when Jesus is coming, then that part of scripture is out of date. And since we believe that the Bible is true and will always be true, how can that be? Well, sometime later on, uh, we were visiting a dear old friend of ours uh, in, in a part of Victoria a long way from Druin. And, uh, and she said, I saw your letter, Steve. It was a good letter. I thought, oh, that's nice. Then she said, but you were wrong. I said, oh, why is that? Well, she didn't argue with me from the Bible. She said she'd heard it from another evangelist from the same organisation. And since he was a man who always told the truth, she believed it. Well, that's just not enough. Because you see, Jesus said it can't be done. So no evangelist, no matter how well credentialed, is going to have news that trumps the word of Jesus. So if you have ever come across the vanishing hitchhiker, then please feel, I think, disregard it. Um, but as it turned out, not long after that, I became aware that this vanishing hitchhiker has been around for over a century. Um, in 1942, there was a scholarly article written in the California Folklore Quarterly uh, talking about the vanishing hitchhiker in which these folklore researchers had received, they'd, they'd collected over 79 different versions of this story from all over America. It wasn't related to the return of Jesus. It was usually the story was concerning a girl 
who was standing by the side of the road in the middle of the night in the pouring rain who looked like she needed a ride home. Kind-hearted people took her, but when they got there, she disappeared. So they went and knocked on the door and the mother came out and said, it's her birthday, she was killed five years ago in a car accident, just at the spot you picked it up. These are called urban myths and legends. Jesus says that his coming is going to be like lightning, which means unexpected. And so he says in verse 42, one of his warnings and commands is stay awake for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. And so to illustrate what he's talking about, he tells four parables. So we've got the long section in, in Matthew 24, but then he tells four parables to illustrate his essential point. And the first of them we looked at last week was if a man goes away and leaves the house, uh, the burglar is not going to tell him what time he's going to arrive. So Jesus' coming is going to be as sudden and as unexpected as lightning, and as without warning as the arrival of a thief who wants to burgle your property. Right? No warning, no sign. And so Jesus says in verse 44, be ready. That's the consequence. His coming will be unexpected, it will be sudden, it will be unpredicted, therefore be ready. And so we get to parable 2 today, which is found at verse 45 of Matthew chapter 24. Let's read it, but before we do that, we'll pray. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, please speak to us through your word today for our good, for our building up in the faith, so that we would prove to you amongst that crew that um, is without fear while we wait for Jesus to return. Uh, who are unable to be misled because we trust your word and, uh, and who persevere to the end and so are saved. Please uh, use this passage to instruct us and encourage us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 24, starting at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the second parable we could say is waiting, about waiting for Jesus by living sensibly. And he gives two illustrations of two servants working in a household. The first servant is an illustration of the right way to wait for Jesus' return and the, the rewards that follow from that. So there's these two contrasting approaches. It looks very much as though Jesus is predicting that the time of his coming will be delayed. Uh, so Verse 48, verse chapter 25, 3 and 25, 19 indicate in every case that these stories uh, are about a delayed return of, of the figure who's in the story. Uh, and so the faithful and wise servant is characterised as a, a servant who's in charge of a household. In other words, he has to administer food and all the other things that a household needs to keep going. And this faithful and wise servant is characterised as someone who perseveres and is able to be depended on. So in other words, you don't wonder while he's out of your sight, is he gonna do his job? Yes, he will, because he'll make sure 
that his duties are attended to the right way and at the right time. So if it's his job to make sure that the other servants in the household are fed, they won't be waiting for hours and hours going hungry because this servant can be trusted. So Jesus says that's the kind of servant that his people need to be. People who get on with the job, doing what they're expected to do in the right way and at the right time. And that, that servant will be rewarded. Blessed will be that servant when his master will find him so doing when he comes. So when Jesus returns, the object is that servants just need to be busy about their work. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. Frederick McCubbin is one of the great Australian artists of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, a famous member of what was known as the Heidelberg School. And one of his great early paintings, he used to like to tell stories in his paintings, and it concerns the unexpected return of a man who clearly has been lost to his wife, probably because he's been out on the road uh, travelling with his swag, looking for work in, in hard times in, in, in Australia. Uh, and when he comes home, it's a, it's a shock to the woman and, a, and to the dog, as you can see in the picture. Uh, but what's she doing? She's not sitting around twiddling her thumbs. She's not sitting around playing with the baby. She's getting on and working. Now, probably what's happening in, in the picture is that she's taken in washing uh, to support herself while her husband's away. And clearly, she doesn't know if he's going to come back at all. She may be wearing that black dress because she might be in mourning, wondering if he's died. He's been go gone so long. But anyway, it's a good illustration, I think, of, of the attitude that we should have. What should we be doing when Jesus returns? Those things that occupy us normally, if they're faithful things, just getting on with the, the, the simple business of, of being obedient and being alive. And so for that, that faithful servant who's found just going about the, the normal everyday things, the, the duties of, of being a Christian, a faithful Christian servant, uh, Jesus says, blessed is that person. Now, a blessing, you could almost translate that word congratulations. Uh, it doesn't get better than this. It, it's, a, it's a word that has, it bears a token of reward. And so blessed is that servant who, whom his master will find. Do you want the blessing of Jesus on the great day of his return? Then keep following, keep serving faithfully and humbly, wisely. And then in verse 47, we realise that part of the reward, part of the blessing is to be trusted with greater responsibilities. He'll be set over all of the master's possessions. Uh, what a privilege for those who've trusted Jesus. But then in contrast, there's the second, the wicked servant. Uh, and so there's this second illustration. Now, we might sum the second servant up with that old uh, saying, while the cat's away, the mice will play. And so the second servant, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and, and eat with drunkards, or eat and drink with drunkards, so the, the second servant, the wicked one, exploits the master's longer than expected exp uh, delay. And so Edgar G. Farrier painted a, a painting called The Unexpected Return where there's revelry going on in the house and the, the, the mistress of the house returns. And I imagine uh, the laughter and the, 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 the fun and games dies away very quickly. But the point of this illustration is that while the master may be delayed some time in returning, he needs to come back and find servants doing what the first servant does. But if the master comes back 
and finds it not to be the case, then there'll be an angry response. And so we find in verse 50, the master of that servant, the wicked servant, will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. Now that's those words there are well chosen by Jesus. We can say this, the master's return is certain, it will happen. Only the timing is unknown. So the call is for faithfulness. And the call is to put away foolishness that manifests itself in ungodly living. Because you see, the thing is, the day is unexpected, just like it was in verse 36. And the hour is unknown, just like it was in verse 36. Now, I've heard people respond to this. In fact, I've heard people I thought were serious Christians. I've even read it in print. I was with a group of Christians once and I said, well, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. So somebody chimed in automatically as though it was a reflex. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we can't work out the minute and the month. And um, I was pretty sure he didn't make that up and I don't think he did because I have seen it written in books of the kind that suggest that you can do these things. Uh, Well, what about the minute and the month? Did Jesus leave that open? Well, my illustration is this. Back when I was a teacher at Warrigal High School, I was in my classroom getting ready for the next lesson. It was lunchtime and the kids weren't supposed to be inside during lunchtime and uh, they uh, certainly weren't supposed to throw balls around. But I heard uh, footsteps out in the corridor and I heard the unmistakable sound of a basketball being bounced. So I went out to see what was happening and there's these two boys. And so I I said to them, oh, you, you shouldn't be here, but you shouldn't be bouncing the ball. And so the boy with the ball sort of apologised sheepishly, but the other boy then took the ball and proceeded to bounce it down the corridor. I said, oi, what are you doing? He said, you told him, not me. Well, that is what you might call absurd literalism. When Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, he's just saying any timing. Uh, we don't need to break it down and say, well, what about the, the fortnight or the, the, you know, the, the month? I mean, It's missing the point. It's absurd literalism. Jesus says no one can predict the date of his coming. The whole point of this chapter is to be alert, not alarmed, but to be ready. Well, there's a wrong way to wait, and that's that way that finds itself exploiting the master's delay by living foolishly and wickedly. And when the master comes, that way will result in a dreadful end. They'll be cut in pieces. Now, that's a a figure of speech. Uh, that is often applied to a death sentence. That's what enemies used to do to each other back in the day when the Bible was written. They'd cut their enemies in pieces. But this passage actually indicates that there's a fate worse than death because that person will will end up with the hypocrites and in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, who are these hypocrites? Well, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus addresses the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, as being hypocrites. Um, In fact, in chapter 23, just before what we're talking about here, seven times Jesus pronounces woes on the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe, woe, woe. Uh, In other words, it's a word of judgment. And the reason that they're being judged is because they're hypocrites. Seven times they're referred to as hypocrites. And so in Matthew 15, Jesus denounces the hypocrisy of Israel's leaders. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, 
This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's a quote from Isaiah 29 verse 13. So a hypocrite is someone whose words and whose deeds don't match up. And the particular hypocrisy that Jesus condemns is people whose behaviour makes them look religious, just in an outward sort of a sense. Uh, and so they say the right things and they look the right way, but their heart is far from God and they're derailing the faith of others by persuading them that it's okay to live with a similar lack of concern for a matching of words and deeds in a way that expresses a, a forgiven heart. So Jesus denounces hypocrisy and he says the hypocrites and servants who've given up waiting and and uh, swayed into riotous living, uh, wicked living, unfaithful and unwise living, he said the place of the hypocrites is a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's another phrase that Jesus uses repeatedly and it's a phrase which is used to characterise the fate of the wicked after death. And so there will be a judgement and there will be a blessed reward for faithful servants. But for those who've given up serving or who have, have given in because the wait seems too long and have gone the other way, the, for the fools, there's a dreadful eternal prospect in view. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now in Lamentations 2 and in a number of other places in the Old Testament, that image of gnashing of teeth is used. Weeping's pretty obvious. It means deep sorrow and, and regret. But the gnashing of teeth... Uh, is something that you do, you grind your teeth because you're so angry with your enemy. And I think that the image, the, the combination of the two, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, means that for all eternity, those who have decided not to be faithful to the Lord Jesus will have the experience of ongoing anguish coupled with ongoing anger and teeth-grinding resentment. What a miserable outcome. What a dreadful place to be. Imagine living amongst people like that. That's a powerful argument for putting your trust in Jesus now, asking him to forgive your sins and, and turning from them and living joyfully, expectantly and hopefully and patiently until he returns. And so Jesus' return is the subject of these chapters. He, he's given clear warnings, he's given clear commands in answer to the question, when will these things be? What will be the sign? Jesus' return is going to be as sudden as lightning. Jesus' return is going to be as unexpected as the arrival of a thief. Jesus' return is going to be delayed. So how should we live? Well, we need to live sensibly while we wait. What does sensible living look like? Well, it looks like servant number one. The wise servant, the wise follower of Jesus will live wisely. They'll live faithfully. They won't quit. They'll live patiently. They'll live expectantly. Now, what does it mean to live wisely, faithfully and patiently? It means just getting on with the job that you've been given. Of course, we want to keep coming to church, keep reading our Bible, but it doesn't mean selling everything you own and moving to the Mount of Olives and waiting there. It does not mean that. It means getting on with the simple tasks that, that are characteristic of obedient Christian living in the meantime. William Barclay in his commentary sums it up this way, and he records 
a Negro spiritual song that goes like this. There's a king and captain high and he's coming by and by and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. You can hear his legions charging in the regions of the sky and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. There's a man they thrust aside who was tortured till he died and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. He was hated and rejected. He was scorned and crucified. And he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. When he comes, when he comes, he'll be crowned by saints and angels when he comes. They'll be shouting out Hosanna to the man that men denied. And I'll kneel among my cotton when he comes. So the challenge for you and for me in reading Matthew 24 and 25 is how will we be found when Jesus returns. Let's be found living wisely, patiently, faithfully and expectantly. Not giving in to doubt or fear, not listening, uh, listening to the, the, the alluring words of false teachers, but simply living faithfully and telling others the good news that Jesus can save them from a fate for, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Uh, loving Father, we, we thank you for these, these words. They're sobering words, they're challenging words, and we do find ourselves at times giving in to, to doubt and to fear. But help us to live with the confident expectation that Jesus will return. And so we ask that you would help us by your spirit to live lives of faithfulness and patience uh, as we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray that you would help us to, to have uh, the sufficient boldness to tell others too that they can know the peace of their sins forgiven uh, as they put their trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who suffered and bled and died. But we look ahead for that day and we say with the saints of all the ages, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, uh, but keep us faithful until you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll see you next time.